Bibles, turn to the uh, turn to chapter ten of First Corinthians, and uh, we'll be in the last eight or nine verses of chapter ten and the first verse of chapter eleven. This is basically uh, the same passage we covered last week. Um, but we'll just continue our lesson today. Uh, last week was the glory of God, part one. The title of our lesson today is the glory of God, part two. Uh, you know, we, in, ever since chapter 8, we've had, obviously, we've been in this um, uh, section 8, 9, and 10 for, for several weeks now. And a lot of this, these lessons have been about us. What does God expect us to do? How does God expect us to behave? Well, this lesson is really all about Him. It's not about us at all. And, that, and that's, you know, sometimes that's the way it is in the Bible. Some scriptures are about us asking, telling us what to do, what not to do. But there's other passages in the Bible that aren't about us at all. They're just completely um, and totally about God. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to be looking at um, today. So uh, here we are again at the end of chapter 10. And as I said last week, uh, Paul is, is summarizing all the things that he's been talking about uh, since chapter 8. And as I said last week, uh, this summary contains one of the most essential and one of the most important verses uh, in the entire Bible, and that is 1 Corinthians 10.31. You won't find very many scriptures more important than this, at least when it comes to how to live the Christian life. And Paul says this, So, in other words, I've been talking about all this stuff for three chapters. He says, So, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, as I said last week again, that is the purpose of life. That is what we were made for. That is the, the reason that you and I exist. And I hope we'll see that even more uh, today. Last week we quoted from the Westminster Catechism. And as I mentioned, the Catechism is a, a series of questions and answers that's used to mainly teach children, but it's also used for new believers. If you want to know, you know, learn about the faith, it's geared to, to help people learn. The Westminster Catechism, the very first question and answer in there says, what is the chief end of man? The chief ends of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is what we are on this planet for. That is our primary reason and purpose, to glorify God. However, that raises a couple of questions for me. Now, I'm one of those people that when I read Scripture and I see something, I always want to know why or what or how. I just always want to go deeper. I want to always ask more. So as I read that verse last, last couple of weeks, and, I, and as I studied on that verse and meditated on that verse, a couple of questions came up in my mind that I wanted to answer. Number one, what is the glory of God? You know, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you hear people talk about the glory of God. And if you, if you visualize it in your mind, most of us maybe visualize a, a you know, a bright light or something. I don't know. It's kind of one of those things that's hard to put in the words. But I want to know, what, what is it? What is the glory of God? And the other second thing I want to know is, why is it such a big deal? I mean, it, I, I mean you, you read the Bible and you realize real quickly, do all to the glory of God. Why is that such a, a big deal? So these are the two questions that we're going to uh, answer this morning. So first of all, what is the glory of God? Does anybody want to take a shot at it, at a definition? What is the glory of God? That is very good. Not a lot of people would say that. I know as a kid growing up, I'd hear about, I'd hear about the glory of God. And like I said, I just pictured this big bright light. If you ever 
saw him, you would just his glory would just you know blind you or something, right? Um, but that is a that is very very good, as we'll see here in just a second. Um, as we said last week, it, some words are really difficult to define with other words, right? We we talked last week about the word beauty. That's a hard word to define. We all know what it is, right? Because you know, we, we, we've gained a sense of that over time. Words, colors are like that, the, the color green. We talked about this last week. We, we understand the meaning of these words, not because we can define them with other words. We understand them because we can, we can see them. In other words, we can point. And if we point enough and say, that's beautiful or that's green, then after a while, we all kind of get a common sense of what those words mean, and we all agree on them. I mentioned this last week too. If you actually go look, for example, the color green and you look at the definition, it says the color between blue and yellow on the spectrum of visible light. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but that means absolutely, I know what green is, don't you? I got no idea what a visible spectrum of light or any of that stuff is. And so a lot of times we just know what something is, but the definition is kind of difficult. I mean, as I wrote here, even a child can know what green is, and they got no idea what a visible spectrum of life is. So as I thought through this process, I thought, well, should we even attempt to define the glory of God? It, it, you know, is it going to be very hard to do? Is it going to be very easy? Well, I think we have to define it because we can't just leave it up to anybody and everybody just to come up with their own definition. So how do we define the glory of God? Well, this is the, this is the easiest way I could find to do it, all right? What we're going to try to do is we're going to define the glory of God by contrasting it biblically with the holiness of God, Okay. And in doing that, I think we can get pretty close to a definition. Now, let's talk for, real quickly about the holiness of God. Now, we've been taught, if you know anything about the Bible, you've been taught from day one that the word holy means what? It means set apart. We are a holy people. We are set apart, right? But God is also a what? A holy God. So the holiness of God refers to the fact... See, I grew up thinking when I heard somebody say, be holy, I thought they meant be sinless, right? That's what to me, I, holiness meant sinlessness. But that sin, is God is obviously pure. He's, he's sinless, but that's only one of His attributes. See, that's not what holiness means. The holiness of God refers to the fact that He is set apart from anybody and anything else. In other words, God is in a class all by Himself. Nothing compares to Him. He is a part. Everybody with me? Okay, He is a part. That is what holiness means. In other words, when it comes to the attributes of God, His love, you can name anything, His love, His beauty, His faithfulness, His, His truth, His, His ability to forgive, His greatness, His worth, His value, His majesty. There's nobody else like Him. He is in a class, a quality of perfection that cannot be improved upon. That's what we mean when we say God is holy. In fact, if you kind of look at this, if you, you can talk about the attributes of God, Love, um, truth, faithfulness, sovereignty, forgiveness, righteousness, wisdom, beauty, they all come under the umbrella of His holiness. Everybody with me? That, that's what it means. All, all those attributes, He is perfect. 
Think of one attribute. He's perfect in that attribute. Bring it all together, and that's what we mean by God is holy. God is set apart. He's, there's nobody, nothing, no other thing like Him. He is by Himself when it comes to comparisons. Now, listen to Isaiah. Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. This is in Isaiah 6. And if you go on and read it, he says, I saw two seraphim or two angels. And he said, they said this, one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His... See, wouldn't you expect him to say, the whole earth is full of His holiness? That would make sense, right? They said, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of His holiness. But they didn't say that. They said, the whole earth is full of His what? His glory. You see, from there we can stab at a definition by saying the glory of God is the manifestation of His holiness. In other words, it's the going public of His holiness. It's, it's how He displays His holiness, His attributes for everybody to see. Does that make sense? You see, God has always been holy before time began, through eternity past. There's never been anybody or anything like Him but yet the Bible says the earth displays His, not His holiness, but His glory. So, that, so we, we, we think, of his, think of His glory as the going public of who He is. And you might say, well, how does He do that? Well, let's look at a few scriptures. As the angel said, He puts it on display in creation. Psalms 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Again, this week I went outside a few times during the evening and I just looked up. And, and, and the Bible, see, when we look at that universe and we look at those stars and, those, and the sky at night, I mean, we should be drawn. That's displaying who He is. Something inside of us should say, I want to know the guy that did that. I want to know the being that did that, that put all that together, that designed that. It, it's His holiness. It's who He is on display for us all to see. We said this last week. When, you, when we look at the sky, we should see God shouting, I am holy. I, I'm like this, only better if you'll just get to know me. We shouldn't make a God out of the sun or a God out of the stars or a God out of the universe. It should point us to the God that created that. That's the whole point of everything. So the heavens is shouting to us, look at me. I designed that. I did that. That's who I am. Can you imagine the, the being that had the intelligence to put all that together and to hold it all together? It should be drawing us to Him. I mean, at the end of the day, every beautiful thing in this world, every pure thing, every good thing, it's all pointing to Him. The question is, do we see it? And, and of course, do we, do we love it? Do we embrace it? Another way that God put His glory on display is in the human race. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, which means that every human being, and we're not perfect, and we don't have all the attributes of God, but we have some of the attributes of God. We have things that the animals don't have. We're, 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 we're self-knowing. We're rational beings. We can love. We can forgive. We can show mercy. We can show grace. All these attributes, we have the ability to be faithful. 
right? We have the ability to do, we have some of these attributes that God has. So, so we, are, we should be displaying, what, is, what does an image do? What, when you look in a mirror, what does it do? It reflects. We should be reflecting God. He put it on display, the Bible says in Hebrews, by sending His Son Jesus. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory. You want to know what God is? Look at the Son. In fact, the, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say he is the exact representation of his being. You want to know what God's like? Look at the Son. He is, he is the radiance of his glory. John 1.14 says, And we saw his glory. Glory is of, of the only begotten from the, the Father. And by the way, one of the things, and I, and I say all that to bring it up to this, one of the ways he wants to put it on display today is through you and me. That's exactly what Paul says in 1031. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In other words, make sure when you live your life, how you parent, how you a uh, husband or how you're a wife or how you're a, a child or how you're a friend or how you work or how you spend your money, make sure you're putting God's perfect attributes on display for the world to see. That is the goal of your life, to reflect Him. That, that's what being a Christian is all about. In the same way that the stars and the moon and the sun and every human being and Jesus, they, they all exemplify or describe the glory of God. You and I are to reflect His glory through the way we live our life. That is our job. And folks, whether you understand or not, that is what you were saved for. That's, that's why He saved you. That is why we are Christians. I was saved not only to see the glory of God and to recognize the glory of God, but I was saved to reflect the glory of God through my life. You see, the fact is, He put His image in every human being. But let me, get, let me ask you a real quick question. Does every human being do a very good job of reflecting the image of God? Not so much. See, that's why He chose some and He put His Son inside of them. The radiance of God's glory should live inside of a Christian. And because of that, every Christian, everything you do should be reflecting His glory, should be representing His glory, the beauty of His attributes. People should be able to look at me and see His faithfulness. People should be able to look at me and see His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His love. That's, that's what we're here for. I mean, look at the scripture, Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? You were created for good works. You were born again for good works. Matthew 5.16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. And what? Glorify God. You were saved for good works so that your good works would bring glory to God. That's what you're here for. That's why you're a Christian. Now... I want to go a little bit further and I ask one more secondary question. We're going to take most of our time this morning on this one. Why is it such a big deal? Why is the glory of God a big deal? Now I want you to listen if, very closely for the next 30 minutes if you can. Because I tell you, I said this last week, I think this is something we don't talk about enough. And that is the glory of God. We talk about the grace of God, the love of God, the holiness of God. We don't talk enough, I think, about the glory of God. And I want you to listen to me for, for just a few minutes. Why is it such a big deal? And let me t I'm just going to tell you right up front. 
It's a big deal because it's the entire reason that God created and redeemed the world is for His glory. It, it, let me say that again. It is a big deal because it is the entire reason that God created this world and redeemed this world. It's all for His glory. From the beginning of time to the, to the end of the age, God's ultimate aim, His ultimate purpose has always been the exaltation of His name and the communication of His glory. That's what it's all about. Okay? That's, that's it right there. It's all about Him. It's all, always been about his, his glory. You see, God doesn't just merely wait around for us to recognize, wow, man, He's, he's, he's glorious. Let me, let me give Him some glory. He doesn't wait around for people to do that. No, He takes the initiative to make sure that His name is glorified. You know, and we'll see this as we, as we move through here. That's, in fact, that's why there's a universe that literally seems unending. I don't know how many of y'all read about new discoveries and keep up with all that, but every new discovery, just, it just seems like the universe is just unending. And every time I read one of that, I think, wow, God is... Un you know, I hear people write these things, and they'll say, well, we're such a speck in the middle of this this almost, it just looks like this eternal universe. There's got to, and I just look at that and think, wow, God is unbelievable. God, God is incredible. How, how can he do that? I mean, just the way he, he works. That's why there's an animal kingdom with species that literally should, just boggles the mind. Some of the things that are out there. We were watching something the other day, and there was animals, I, I didn't know that even existed. That just every time you turn around, there's just something new, and you think, how did he design that? How did he come up with that? That's why there's a human race. He made them. He made the universe. He created the animal kingdom. He created the human race to show his glory. That, that is their purpose. That is our purpose for existing. It's all about his, his glory. Every star, every animal was designed to point to the majesty, the glory of God. Every human being created in the image of God is designed to do what images do. They reflect. And in this case, we are to reflect or show forth the, the image of God. But I want you to stop right there. Listen to what I just said. I just said God created the universe to, ref to show His glory. God created the animal kingdom to show His glory. God created the human race to show His glory. But it doesn't just stop there. Listen to 1 Peter 1.20. It says this, God chose him, talking about Christ, as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. You see, what that verse tells us is that even before God created the universe, before he created the animal kingdom, before he created human beings, before he had done any of that, the Bible says that he went ahead and chose Christ to be our ransom. What does that tell us? See, that tells us before anything happened, he already knew. He didn't just know, he had ordained, he had planned. Revelation tells us that Christ was slain, what? Before the foundation of the world. So it was already in place. Everything was, was set up. You see, from a birth in a manger to a horrifying death on a cross, whether it's sin, death, grace, forgiveness, what, what we would call the great and glorious work of redemption... It was all ordained to magnify the glory of God. I want you to listen to this scripture right here. 
Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Let's walk through it and listen to what it says. Therefore, Paul says, God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is, is above every name. So that, okay, here's his purpose. This is why he has given Jesus a name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why, Paul? What's the point of all that? What does he say? To the glory of God the Father. See, it's all about him getting the glory. You see, God wants his name and his attributes to be glorified. By the way, especially the glory of his grace. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, 5, 6, he predestined us for adoptions as son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of what? The glory of his grace. So, so his grace would get the glory. See, it's all about him. All of re, Listen, all of redemptive history, okay, is bookended by this amazing purpose. Look at what the Bible says. He was slain before the foundation of the world. Everybody with me? Before time began, before humans or universes or atoms or, or protons or any of that stuff, the Bible says before any of that existed, he was already chosen to die. God knew everything that was going to happen. And then he says at the end of the ages, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that He is Lord, right? You've got this book in before time began and at the end of the age. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about His glory. And in the middle of that redemptive history, in the middle of those bookends, is the greatest three days that ever existed on this planet, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the, the Bible says God ordained it all for His glory. See, I've always been taught my whole life that I am to live for His glory, okay? But see, when you open the Bible, you find out something else, that God lives for His own glory. It's all about His glory. Now, that kind of puts me in my place. It's not about me, Derek. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's always been about Him. It's always about Him getting the praise, Him getting the glory. It's always, it's always been about that. Everything that's been done is always to bring glory to His name. That, that's why we're here. Now that should be, by the way, some of the best news you and I have ever heard. That, that, that should be some of the best news you and I have ever heard. And here's why. See, what I just said is that God's ultimate purpose for the universe is the communication of His glory. That's what it's always been about. And for Christians, this should be a massive rock of assurance. Now, here's why. Because he will not fail in his saving purposes, not because of me, not because of my worth or my reputation, because what is at stake is it's his glory. You see that? It's not about me. It's not about that. It's about him. He said, I'll do it. See, my hope and my confidence should be built on, on not God's commitment to me, but God's commitment to himself. Does that make sense? It's his name. It's his reputation. It's his glory that's at stake. He'll never let that go by the wayside. Look at a couple of scriptures. Isaiah 45, 23. God says, By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return 
To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Who does God, when God has to swear, when God has to make a promise, who does he promise by? Himself. He says, I swore on myself I've sworn. He, he says, when that word goes out, it ain't coming back. That's going to happen. Because my glory is at stake. My reputation is at stake. My honor is at, is at stake. Look at Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. He says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how would I ever let my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Let me tell you, when God says He will keep you and save you, His name is at stake. His reputation is at stake. His glory is at stake. It's not your worth. It's not your value. It's not, well, I'm, I'm not, it's not what it's about. It's about His name. His name's on the line. It's always been about His name. It's always been about His glory. That's what it's all about. Yet, that should be this wonderful news, yet somehow it is a stumbling block to some people. You, and, I, and this is one of the things, this is something that's always bothered me, and I don't know if it's bothered you, but we'll see this morning, but it's always bothered me, and I needed to know this. You cannot read Scripture without coming to the realization that God is adamant, is He not, that He received the glory? Yes or no? You read Scripture, He is adamant that He alone, nobody else, receives the honor and the glory and the praise. He says it over and over and over again. We just read Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake I do it, I will not give my glory to another. He says, I'll get the glory. Give me the glory. Right? Are, we, are everybody with me? Okay. Now let's be honest. Hasn't it occurred to you at least at some point in your life that it's a little, at least a little odd that we as human beings aren't supposed to be self-exalting, but it's okay for God to do it? Is that not, is that bother? raise your hand, is that, has anybody ever thought that thought? Okay, at least a few of us. That's always bothered me. See, I, he tells me, you, you don't, you humble yourself, you don't be self-exalting, but yet, somehow, God is always exalting himself, right? And, 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 and I've just, you know, I've just went on by it, for whatever reason, but for many people, that is a stumbling block to believing in him. I found a few examples um, this week, you see, many people view that as a problem, that a God who created the world for his own praise, that a God who created the world for his own glory, that a God who plans and performs his own self-exaltation would be an egomaniac. And, and a lot of people think a God like that would be immoral. I ran across a few examples. Oprah Winfrey was one. I found a, a thing from her on YouTube. She, has a, she was telling a story where she walked away from Orthodox Christianity when she was about 27. And according to her, she was at a service, and, and, and you can go find it on YouTube. She was at a service, and the, the preacher was preaching. And um, I think he was preaching out of, out of Exodus. And he was talking about the fact that God is jealous for his own glory. Jealous for his own glory. And for some reason, that day, that just hit her wrong. And she said, what kind of God is that? 
that he, it's a God that demands that we get, our, he gets our highest allegiance, our, our highest affection. She said, that didn't sound like a, a loving God to me. And from that day on, she, she walked away. Brad Pitt, we all know who Brad Pitt is. He turned away, he was raised an evan, in an evangelical Christian home. And he turned away from his boyhood faith because of, this is what he said, for, quote, I didn't understand the idea of a God who says, you have to acknowledge me. You have to say that I'm the best. He says that it seemed to me to be all about ego, and I couldn't see a God operating from ego, so that made no sense to me. See, the fact that God says, you have to acknowledge me, that there is no one like me. Brad Pitt said, that just seemed like an egomaniac. I, so he just walked away from it. He completely discounted his boyhood faith. C.S. Lewis, many of you know who C.S. Lewis is. Before he became a Christian, he was put off by God's demands to be glorified. He says that when he read the Psalms, the constant demand from God to praise him seemed to picture God as craving for our worship like a vain woman who wants compliments. He just couldn't understand what, what kind of God craves our worship. What kind of God always wants us to be, to be worshiping Him and praising Him? What kind, of God is, what kind of God is that? He just didn't understand that. Eric Reese, a, a journalism professor at the University of Kentucky, rejected the Jesus of the gospel because, as he says, quote, only an egomaniac would demand that we love Him more than we love our parents and our children. See, that's when he read the gospels, that's, that's how he saw God. I mean, what kind of God would demand that you love Him more than you love your parents or, or your mother, your father, your children? What kind of God is that? He, he completely rejected it. Michael Prose, a, a columnist for the London Financial Times, he wrote this in an editorial. Worship is an aspect of religion that I always found difficult to understand. Suppose we postulate an omnipotent being who, for, for reasons unscrutable to us, decided to create something other than himself. Why should he expect us to worship him? We didn't ask to be created. We know that human tyrants, puffed up with pride, crave adulation and homage. But a morally perfect God would surely have no character defects. So why are all these people on their knees every Sunday? Same thing. He just couldn't understand how a God... That's, that's how dictators act. That's how tyrants act. That's not how a, a morally perfect God would act. So he just thought that this can't be true. Now, see, if we would really be honest, I think most Christians think it's good for us to be God-centered, but they don't really feel comfortable with the fact that God is God-centered. And let me tell you, God is God-centered. It's all about Him. So we, what we do is we kind of ignore it, or we tell ourselves, well, you know, that's just really beyond my understanding. So I'll just push that to the side. It bothers me a little bit, but I'll push it to the side. Now, i got to be honest with you. Now, by the way, if you think, well, this is a little thing, this is not a big deal, I want to tell you, I think it is a big deal. One of my favorite quotes that I've ever run across is by A.W. Tozer. He said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I love that quote. What you think about, there's nothing more important than you than what you think about God. That is the most important thing about you. The fact is, we should think rightly about God. 
We should know who He is. We should understand His attributes. So if you've got these ideas about God, well, that's not quite right. That's a big deal because it's going to hinder your walk with Him. It's going to hinder your faith in Him. It's going to hinder your trust in Him. That's why Tozer says that's, that's, there's nothing more important than what you think about God. So you see, when I think about all these things, I want to know why. All right, God, why? Why do you require our worship? Why do you demand our praise? Why are you adamant about our adoration? Exodus 34, 14, this is the verse that that preacher preached on the Sunday morning that, that uh, Oprah Winfrey said, I, I just couldn't understand this. It said this, God says, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. See, He's jealous for His own glory. He's not just demanding it. He's not just asking for it. The Bible says He's jealous for it. He wants it. Now, I want to know why. Why, why is God like that? Why is it okay for God to be self-exalting but not us? Well, here I'm going to tell you why this morning. The reason it's okay for God to do it is, number one, and the reason that He does do it is because He loves us. You see, God desiring or demanding that we worship Him is not immoral. In fact, it is the most moral thing that God can do. It is, it is born out of love. In fact, the greatest love. So let, let me explain or see if I can explain it in words that, that help me. If I ask you this morning, what does every human being want? If I just said, let's just sit down and figure out what does every human being want? Don't we, I mean, that's just a list. Don't we want to be loved? Don't we want to love and no love? Don't we want to experience joy? Don't, don't we want to know, know a, a contentment that's not based on circumstances that goes up and down? But no matter what circumstances are, we, our joy remains the same. Our contentment remains the same. Don't we want peace? Don't we want to experience pleasure? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, satisfaction. Don't we all want to have purpose? I mean, those are just some of the things I wrote down that people would say. Now, here's the second question. Where are all of those things found at their most complete? Where do you find love like no other? Where do you find peace like no other? Where do you find contentment like no other? Pleasure like no other? And God. Is that true? You see, scriptures tell us, read some of these, Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of what? Joy. At your right hand are what? Pleasures forever. You want to find the most joy you can ever find? The Bible says it's in the presence of God. You want to find pleasure? Like, you know, on this earth, we, 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 we kind of find pleasure in some things, but after you keep doing them and doing them, they get old, don't they? It's like, let's move to the next thing. The Bible says, in God, in His right hand are pleasures evermore. Philippians 4 says, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. Do you want to be content? Do you, do you want to know contentment where you're just a content person? It doesn't matter what circumstances do, good, bad, Good, ugly, it doesn't matter. You want to be that kind of per person? Paul says, I can do all things through Him, in Him. In other words, in that relationship with Him, I find a contentment that circumstances can't, can't alter. Philippians 4, 7, Paul says, the peace of God. You want a peace that transcends understanding? 
You want a peace that when you're going through something, you don't even, you don't even get it. You, can't, you don't even know why you got it. You, you shouldn't have peace, but you do, right? How do you find that? Paul says it's in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You want to know a love like no other? You, you want to know a love that's unconditional? The Bible says that's poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Do you want those things that they're most complete? The Bible says you'll find that in one place, and that's in God. You see, we find the most fulfillment of all these things when we're serving and honoring and worshiping and glorifying God in our lives. That's what Scripture says, and anybody that's a Christian will tell you that's true. We know as Christians that is absolutely true. That's where we find the most fulfillment of those things. Now listen, since God is the source of this fulfillment, asking us to glorify Him is the kindest, most loving thing He could possibly do. You see, He reveals Himself and magnifies Himself to us for one reason, because He loves us and wants what's best for us. See, He knows... Here's my child, and, 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 and the most peace, the most love, the most contentment, the most joy he'll ever find is in me. So what does he do? He's constantly telling you, glorify me, worship me, serve me, come to me. Why? It's not about him. In this case, it's about knowing what's best for you. You see, God is the one being for whom self-exaltation is the most loving act. Why? Because in exalting himself... He is exalting for us the one thing, the one person that can satisfy us fully and forever. See, I mentioned earlier that C.S. Lewis thought God was like a vain woman craving compliments. But he eventually, when he got saved, he, he began to understand the beauty of God's self-exaltation. He finally saw something very different. He wrote this in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. He says, My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supreme valuable what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. See, this is what he said. He said, I noticed something in my life that when I really love something, I can't help but praise it. Any of you got grandkids or kids that you just love? Listen, get around them. What do you start doing? You start talking about it. Oh, man, they're the greatest. They're the best. They're awesome, right? See, there's something in, in, innate in our human nature that when we get in the, the presence of something wonderful and beautiful, we want to glorify it, do we not? Why would God be any different? See, that's what C.S. Lewis finally said. He, he said, I finally realized that the glorification of God and the praise of God is actually the consummation of my joy in God. See, that's what he said, that praising God is the consummation of joy. Therefore, when God is demanding our praise, He is in essence demanding the consummation of our joy. See, He knows where you'll be the most happy, the most content, the most loved. And it's in Him. That's why He's always drawing us to Him. That's why He's always saying, come here, lift me up, because there you'll find the consummation of your joy. Now, by the way, this may at first feel a little counterintuitive that when we feel insignificant and small that while God is, is great and central, at those very moments we reach our highest joy. But if you think about it, you'll find it's really incredibly true. 
I know in, in my life, think about the moments in your life when you've experienced real joy. I can tell you in my life, it's never been about me. It's always when I was in the presence of something greater than me. It's like when my children were born or, or things like that, when you're just, I mean, it's just, everybody with me? It's those points where you, it's that where you experience real joy when it's not about you. See, that's the way it is with God. That's why the Bible says you want to find your life, lose it. See, when it becomes less about you and all about Him, that's when for the first time you really understand. You really see what living is all about. That's why Paul says to, to, live, is, uh, to live in Christ is what? life in Christ, that's where our life is. To die is gain, but to live, it's all about Jesus. That's what living is, is all about. See, if, if, joy, if Jesus wants you to feel most alive, most joyful ever, what would He show you? Himself. Would He not? See, He'd show you the most beautiful and the greatest thing He could show you, and that's Him. That's why it's okay for God to do it but not us. You see, if we exalt ourselves, think about this for a second. If we exalt ourselves, we're not loving because we are distracting people from the one person who can make them happy forever, and that's God. See, God's over here, and you're over here saying, look at me, look at me, and you're distracting them from their true peace and true joy. But you see, if God exalts himself, he's drawing them to the one thing that can give them true joy and peace, and love, and contentment, and all of those things, and make them happy forever, and that's Him. So I would say this morning, when I read Oprah Winfrey, listen, I'd say, no, Oprah, if God were not jealous for all your affections, then He'd literally, think about this, if He weren't jealous for your affections, He would be indifferent to your misery. If God sits over there and just says, you know what, just do what you, I'm not, I'm not going to require that you worship me, I'm not going to choir that you adore me. Just do what you want to do. He's literally being indifferent to your misery. Because over here is the one thing that can alleviate all of that suffering. I'd say no, Brad Pitt. If God didn't demand that you see him as the best, then he wouldn't care about your supreme happiness. I would tell Eric Reese, if Jesus didn't lay claim on greater love than your children do, in the end you would have neither. I thought a lot about this this week, that as, as a parent... You know, when God requires me to adore Him and to magnify Him, and as my life gets less and less and He gets more and more, I'm living, I'm reflecting God to who? My children. And in effect, I'm drawing my children to Him. Everybody, see Brad, see I'm t- that's what uh, Eric Reese is saying. See, if God didn't require that, then in the end I would lose both. I'd have neither one. See, God is doing the most loving thing He can. I tell Michael Prost, God doesn't crave your adulation from His neediness. That's not what this is about at all. He's calling it forth as your greatest joy. He's doing it for for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You this morning.